So a couple weeks ago, I put myself out there, I was vulnerable with you all, and I confessed a guilty pleasure listening to a local radio show. Now, here's the thing. I heard another one, and, and I got to share. It's just too good, right? Okay, so here's the deal. Guy calls the radio station and says, hey, I went on this incredible date. You're not going to believe how good it was. And the radio people are like, okay, whatever. Tell us about it. And so the guy proceeds to say, you know, we didn't actually go anywhere. She came over to my place. I'm a good cook. I love to cook. And so I made this incredible meal. Uh, I, I got the nice wine. I kind of roll out the red carpet. She comes over. We have this great time together. Good meal, good conversation. Everything's going great until all of a sudden she just bounces, like literally picks up her purse, picks up her jacket, and just leaves my house. Doesn't say a word. I, I, I walk after her. I'm saying, hey, what, what, where are you going? She doesn't even turn back. She just like scurries out, runs out of the house, goes to her car, gets in it, turns it on, drives away. I call her, what's going on? I'm texting her, are you okay? What, what, did something happen? Radio silence. Right, you get the radio people and they're like, okay, this is gonna be good, let's call her up. So they call her up, hey, tell us about this date. She goes, that dude is a psycho. Okay, why? She's like, no, seriously, he's a psycho. And, and they're like, well, seriously, why though? Because we just had this conversation with him and, and he said that he made a great meal and you guys had wine and it was all fun and it was good and the conversation was great and, you know, things, seems, things, things seem to be going well. What happened? She goes, here's what happened. I went to the freezer to get some ice for my water and when I opened the freezer, you know what I found? I found a dead cat. You just, just, I can't make this stuff up, man. Like, dead cat. Not, not joking, not fake. Like, literally, a, a, just like, dead cat. Right? There's a dead cat in this dude's freezer. He's a psycho. And the radio people, again, it's just like, gosh, this stuff. Why does this keep happening? Right? Like, okay, maybe he is a psycho. Right? And so they let it, they, he comes on. They're like, dude, what do you got to say for that? Like, there's a cat. They're like, okay, did you wrap it up? Or like, what? Like, no, the cat is just laying in there, stiff as a board, fur and all, just laying on the shelf, completely frozen. The guy says, you know, here's the thing. My cat died, and I didn't know what to do with it. I've never had a cat die. And so I didn't think that I could bury it in the backyard, and I wasn't quite ready to let it go, and so I didn't want to go to the vet. And so I, I was just looking around my house, and I was like, you know, I... I might as well put it in the freezer. And then I kind of forgot that it was in there. And gosh, this is stupid that this girl found this dead cat in my freezer. Crazy, right? Why am I sharing that story? Here's why I'm sharing that story. It's silly. Uh, it's true, sadly. Uh, it's true. And I'm not trying to make, here's the thing. I'm not trying to make light of a guy in some pain about losing his pet. I get it. I've been there. It's hard. But here's the thing. If you're ever on a date and you find a dead cat in the freezer, you know what you do? Exactly what that girl did. You bounce, right? Run. <laughs> as fast as you can. Here's why I'm sharing that story. I get asked all the time, Kyle, what are warning signs in dating? A freezer and a cat, right? No, what are warning signs? What are red flags that, that come up for us in dating? Of course, right, the, nobody's perfect, right? Everybody makes mistakes. There's always going to be things about the other person that we wish were different, but what are the deal breakers? What are the the metaphorical cats in the freezer, if you will, the deal breakers, the red flags, the warning signs that should send us out the door when we're thinking about what it looks like to date? I think it's a really good question. I said I get asked all the time. I think it's a great question. And to be honest, I think you can go pretty much anywhere to get an answer to that question, right? You can read a book. You can go online. You can social media. You know, it, it, everyone has an opinion about dating red flags, dating warning signs. 
And that's great, and I think largely that stuff is probably decently helpful. I think if you Google dating red flags, you'll probably find some good things. But here's what I want to ask. What does God have to say? What does Jesus say about dating? What does Jesus say about red flags? What does Jesus say with respect to warning signs when it comes to the people that we're considering dating or maybe even are dating? On the one hand, I I need to at least admit that Jesus doesn't have a lot to say at all because this kind of modern notion of dating, when we talk about dating, that that didn't exist in Jesus' day, right? Like dating wasn't back then like it is now. So if you search in your Bible dating red flags, you're not going to find anything under that search, right? But on the other hand, of course Jesus has something to say about our relationships. Of course he's interested. Of course he has a lot to say. What's healthy? What's not healthy? What's good? What's bad? What love is and what love isn't? And so while we might not have specifics when it comes to the Bible, what we get is, is principles. We get wisdom that we can apply to our life wisdom, principles that we can apply to dating that guide us through this kind of evaluation process that that dating often is. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at one passage, just one passage, and out of this one passage, I'm going to pull out 10 principles, 10, we'll call them red flags that I think all of us should be paying attention to, warning signs when it comes to dating, okay? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, one passage, and that passage is the same passage that I ended with Uh, a few weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 13. This is what it says. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I mentioned that, you know, that's a passage that if you haven't read it in the Bible, you've heard it. You've probably heard it at a wedding. We all have, right? This is kind of the quintessential wedding passage. But here's the interesting thing. Paul, the author of this, he didn't write this for a wedding. These words on love, they weren't written to a bride and groom on their wedding day. No, they were written to a group of people, messed up people, living in a messed up city, the city of Corinth. And what Paul is doing when he's writing, we, we can't really get into it too much, but, but what Paul's doing when he's writing these words, he's challenging them, he's, in, he's encouraging them, but he's also challenging them, not just on how they feel, but, but how they're living, what they do. He's challenging their actions. And so these words that Paul has for us on love in 1 Corinthians 13, they're, they're not just written for a wedding day, they're written for every single day. This isn't just a, a wedding passage. This is a passage for today and tomorrow and, and yesterday and, and next month and for the rest of our lives. This is a passage for every single day to all Christians, single, dating, engaged, married. It doesn't matter who you are. All Christians for all time, every part of our lives. But when it comes to dating, and in particular when it comes to dating red flags, this is a great passage to start with because in a lot of ways, this is the, the standard. This is the, the, the expectation. This is, this is what we should be aiming for when it comes to love, what love is, what love isn't. See, being, and if we want a relationship, being with, so being, but also being with the people, the kind of people that love us in this way. See, I want to say that, that my hope for all of us tonight is that we would both want to love like that, but also be loved like that. And I said this last time, 
But I think a lot of us, maybe too many of us, we settle for way too less. We settle for, for not that kind of love. We settle by ignoring red flags. We settle by ignoring, or ignoring warning signs. And so I think these red flags that we're going to look at tonight, they, they help us avoid settling. But on the flip side, I think they also challenge us. Maybe, maybe we're tempted to get out of relationships too quickly. Maybe we're tempted to think that, that certain things in relationships are a far bigger deal than they actually are. And so that's what I want us to do. As we're kind of evaluating these red flags, these are things to help us avoid settling. But there are also maybe some, some things that we should consider like, okay, this is what God has to say. Maybe what culture is telling me about red flags, maybe it's not quite as big of a deal as, as someone says it is. But maybe we should care more about what God says. So 10 red flags. Here's what I'm going to, by no means will this be exhaustive. I, I know that I just can't talk enough about these things. And so I'm going to say this up front. If you have questions, I hope you do. I expect that you will. Uh, we're going to throw a thing on Instagram later tonight. Just drop a line in that. Say, hey, you said this, but what about this? Or, hey, I, I want more here. Or, hey, I don't really know if I agree with that, but let's, let's talk. And then in two weeks, we're going to get a dating panel. We're going to have a group of people up here, a hot seat, if you will, of, of several different staff members around the crossing. And we're going to just have a kind of spicy conversation about these kinds of questions. I love spicy conversations. That's why these people are laughing. They know that about me. All right, so here, here we go. Let's go. First, first dating red flag from 1 Corinthians 13. Impatience, right? If he or she is impatient, it's a red flag. Now, maybe you're thinking, really, like, like come on, man. Like, impatience? Uh, yeah, really, right? Like, we can't get around the fact that Paul starts this passage on love by saying this. Love is patient. Love is patient. And so what that means is that impatience is the opposite of love, according to Paul. It's damaging. It's unhealthy. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about the kind of, you know, occasional impatience that all of us have, right? Like, on the way over, I was annoyed because I was behind a pokey, someone driving way too slow. I, I don't think that Paul is talking about the occasional annoyance, right? I think he's talking about habitual patterns of, of impatience, right? That's, that's the red flag. That, this kind of habit, this kind of, we're, we're always impatient. We're, we're, we can't stand waiting, right? Not, not for anything, um, or, or maybe another thing, when we, when we kind of, when, when we're in a situation where it seems like it's a waste of time that gets us really frustrated, really angry. That's the kind of impatience that, that we're talking about here. And so here's some questions maybe just to ask yourself when you're, when you're considering, is this, is this person, this person that I'm interested in, maybe the person that I'm dating, is this kind of a, not just an occasional impatient person, but someone who is often in red flaggish with respect to their impatience. How do they respond when things don't go their way? How do they handle hardship? How do they handle inconvenience? Do they, do they bear other people's burdens? Are they willing to kind of deal with messy people, right? We're all kind of messy. Do they, do they what, what happens with, with unintentional faults and failures in others? Do they, do they lead, you know, are, are, are we gracious with that? Or, or does it lead to kind of this kind of frequent irritability? As you're evaluating, how do people respond when, when, they have, when others have different opinions, different thoughts? Here's a way that I see impatience often work out, particularly in college dating. One person tends to, over the other person, push the relationship a little too far. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's physical. 
We get impatient, and so we want to go further emotionally. We get impatient, and we want to go further physically. And that's not always comfortable to the other person, but we're impatient, and so I want what I want right now. Maybe another thing, another question to ask when evaluating, does, does this person get kind of aggressive when they're impatient? See, we can quickly see how impatience might on the surface seem somewhat mundane, but, but when we actually get a little bit deeper, impatience is actually a pretty big red flag. I think that's why Paul talks about patience. Love is patient. Second red flag, unkind. Unkind. Kindness is infectious, right? Like when we think about kindness, it's almost obvious. Kindness is infectious. It's the reason why we all love Ted Lasso, right? He's the quintessential nice guy. He treats people the way that he wants to be treated. He cares about them. He listens well. He empathizes. He's compassionate. If you've seen Ted Lasso, you know that Ted Lasso makes you want to be a better person. He makes all of us want to be better people. And so it's a... It's, for sure, for sure, for sure, imperfect, right? It's an imperfect picture, but it is a picture, I think, of the kind of love that Paul's talking about whenever he says love is kind. The kind of love that's quick to offer help. The kind of love that's quick to be an encouragement. The kind of love that's quick to comfort other people. The kind of love that puts the needs of other people ahead of ourselves. The kind of love that does things for others not in a transactional kind of way, but in a way that says, look, I don't expect anything in return. See, that's what love is. And so if the person you're interested in isn't loving in that kind of way, if they're not a kind person, again, not occasionally unkind, right, but habitually unkind, how do they treat people? How do they think about people? What do they do with other people? If they're unkind, red flag, according to Paul. Number three, self-absorbed, self Absorbed. Paul says this in verse 5, I think, 4, sorry. Love does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. In short, Paul's saying love isn't self-absorbed. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, it is so easy in our culture to be self-absorbed, right? Like, it's so easy. I think even more in college, it's so easy for, for my world to be all about me. We want what we want when we want it. We're unhappy when other people have the thing or, or, or things that we think we want, maybe deserve, that we don't have. We compare ourselves to other people. We think we deserve better. We think we are better. We find value in our looks. We find worth in our accomplishments. We care more about ourselves than we care about other people. And so I think Paul would say, look, don't date someone who's more interested in themselves than they are in you. Now, of course you can, right? Like if you want to date someone who's self-absorbed, nobody's going to stop you. But here's the question. Why would you want to date someone like that? Why would you want to date someone that's more concerned about themselves than they are of you? And here's the other thing. If they're self-absorbed now, what makes you think that they're not going to be later in your relationship? And if you stay together, what makes you think that they're not going to be self-absorbed in your marriage? Now, of course, that's not to say that people can't change, Right? I hope that part of this talk encourages us to, to self-reflect and be honest and open conversation and invite ourselves to think about, man, is this me? People can change. People can grow. People can mature. But if there is, like, habitual self-absorption, move on. Move on. Red flag number four, gossip. Gossip. In many ways, you know, gossip is like the air that we breathe, right? Right? 
I mean, in our culture, gossip is entertainment. Turn on the radio, look on the internet. You guys don't turn the radio on. But look on the internet, social media, right? Gossip is, is entertainment. Like, there, there are news, news, sources. Like, that's what they do, right? That's, that's, that's the form of entertainment. Relationally, it's a way that we build social capital with one another. I mean, just pay attention sometimes. If you're not the one doing it, just pay attention how people use gossip. It builds social capital, right? We, we make ourselves look better by tearing other people down. And we can say a lot of things about gossip because gossip is a lot of things. But you know one thing it's not? It's not loving. Because Paul says that, that love does not dishonor others. That's exactly what gossip does. Gossip dishonors other people. People, by the way, made in the image of God. When we speak about people poorly, particularly when they're not around, when they can't hear it, when they can't respond to it, what that does is it, I mean, this is obvious stuff, but we do it anyway, right? It tears them down. It doesn't build up. It tears down. And it breeds rivalry. It, it breeds division, divisiveness, selfishness. Like, it's selfish. It's destructive. And so if you're interested in someone who loves to gossip, I get that that's what we all do, right? Or I get that culturally it's the air that we're breathing. But, but if you're interested in dating or dating someone who loves to gossip, here's another question. Like, what, what makes you think that they won't gossip about you when you're not around? Well, just because it's your girlfriend or your boyfriend or the person you're dating? I don't know. I think Paul says red flag. Number five, lacks self-control. It's a red flag if he or she is lacking in self-control. Okay, so Proverbs uh, chapter 25, verse 28 says this. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Okay, we get the self-control bit, but like what does a city with walls broken through have to do with this? So here's the thing. Back when this was written, right, a city's walls were kind of the chief way that, that it defended itself from outside harm, right? And so if walls were broken through, what that meant is that an invading army could come into the city and could conquer it. And so what this proverb is saying, what it's getting at, is, is in the same way that, that a city without walls is vulnerable to attack, so too is a person who's lacking in self-control. Now here's the thing. If anyone knew this from personal experience, it's the guy who wrote this. His name was Solomon, King Solomon. And unfortunately, again, we don't have time to get into it, but unfortunately his story is a striking example of his own words being true. Because, you see, for Solomon, instead of increasing or exercising self-control, what he did is he, he gave uh, into his passions. He let his passions run out of control. And because of that, over time, his heart gradually turned completely away from God and he lost everything. He lost it all because he didn't have self-control. He had everything. And he kept giving into his passions and he lost it all, including his relationship with God. See, doing whatever we want, whenever we want, instead of doing what God wants, the Bible calls that rebellion. It's sin. But what our culture calls that is what? Freedom. Doing whatever we want, whenever we want, is what our culture says it means to be free. Trusting ourselves, listening to our inner voice, obeying our deepest desires, that is what's going to make us happy. And so saying no to what we want, saying no to our desires, saying no to our feelings, it's not something that we often do. And yet that's exactly what Paul says love does. It is not self-seeking. It is not self-interested. Love is not fixated, Paul says, on self. 
And so don't date someone who is. Don't date someone who can't say no to their desires ever. Don't date someone who has no self-control. Don't date someone who can't resist their urges. Don't date someone who can't resist temptation. See, someone without self-control, it doesn't matter. When we say self-control, I'm talking, I don't care if we're talking about appetite, if we're talking about temper, if we're talking about time, what, what, what someone says, what they want sexually. It doesn't matter. Someone without self-control, here's what ends up happening. Whatever it is that they really desire often becomes the thing that controls them. That's what ends up happening. And so that's why self-control is such a big deal. That's why love says, or that's why love is self-controlled. And lacking self-control is a giant red flag. Number six, easily angered. Easily angered. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, verse 5 of chapter 13, love is not easily angered. That's what Paul says. Here's what Jesus' brother James says in James chapter 1, 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. See, anger is this interesting thing, right? Because anger in many ways is like the thing that, that especially we as Americans, we can all agree on, right? We're all outraged about something, right? We, we disagree about the thing that we're angry about, but one thing that we can almost agree on is that, that we're all angry and it's kind of okay, but not so according to the Bible. Why is anger such a big deal? Well, I think because a lot of times it doesn't just stop with anger. Anger turns into something else. Anger turns into, when we let anger linger, it turns into resentment. When we let anger linger, it turns into bitterness. When we let anger linger, it, it turns into hostility and hatred and division. Now, of course, of course, of course, of course, we all get angry from time to time, right? And honestly, there are good times to be angry, right things to be angry about. But if you're interested in looking for someone to date, you should take note, take seriously patterns of anger. Are they easily angered? And if so, why? What, what are the kinds of things, why are they angry? See, Paul says it in a different place like this, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So Paul seems to know that there are going to be times where we actually do get angry, but he also wants us to know that when we're angry, we shouldn't sin. Anger is not an excuse to sin. And so when you're thinking about dating, how does the person that you're interested in, how do they handle their anger? What, what comes out of their mouth? What do they say? How do they treat people? How do they treat you? Are they aggressive? Manipulative? Make you feel shame? Are they rash? Violent? See, I think we need to ask when, when not if, when we become angry, how do we respond to anger? Is it God-honoring or is it sinful? See, Paul says that love isn't easily angered. Our culture might say that love is, or that, that everybody should just be angry and, and gets to be angry. Don't buy the lie that that's okay because it's not according to God. Number seven, unforgiving. Unforgiving. So uh, I think I said this a few weeks ago at the Super Bowl thing. Uh, I love Wordle. Uh, I'm a big world guy. Got a good streak going right now. Um, and I heard a story the other day about a guy. Uh, so I don't know how he did this. 
Uh, but here's the story. He somehow figured out, if you don't know what Wordle is, it's just an online game uh, that for some reason is really addictive. Uh, but you get a new word every night at midnight, you got to guess it the next day, that sort of thing. So this guy, I don't know how he did this, right? But, but he figures out how to have the Wordle word like delivered to his computer, downloaded or somehow, I don't know if he wrote some sort of code or some... I, I don't know how he gets it, but, you know, the Wordle word goes up at midnight. Somehow he's got it at 12.01. Now, you might be thinking, what on earth? Who wants, like, that ruins it, right? Like, that's, that's the whole fun is, like, the whole point of the game is to figure it out. Why would you just want it delivered to your computer? He didn't actually care about the game at all. That's, that's why he wanted it. He, did, he didn't play Wordle, had no interest in Wordle, but guess who did? His ex-girlfriend. And so you know what he did? He took that Wordle word that he got every night at 1201 or whenever it was, and he had an automated email set up to send it to her so that she couldn't play Wordle. Now, that's messed up, isn't it? Like, that's messed up. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's cool. No. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> Paul says that love keeps no record of wrongs. That's keeping a record of wrongs. Don't ruin Wordle. See, it's easy. It's easy, easy, easy to accuse, right? You know this. It's easy to accuse. It's easy to harbor bitterness and anger. It's easy, right? It takes not much effort to treat other people who have wronged us poorly. It doesn't take a lot of effort to treat them poorly too, to repay them according to what they have done. But here's the thing. It's not love. That's not love. Remember, love isn't just a feeling. Sometimes we think that, that love is a feeling. It's not just a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action. Love does. This whole passage in 1 Corinthians 13, they're action words. They're verbs, things that we do. And sometimes the doing, it's really hard. It's really hard. Not keeping a record of wrongs. It's, it's hard. Forgiving is hard. But find someone who knows how to forgive and doesn't just know how to forgive but is willing to do so and is willing to do so often. As someone who's been married for a while now, I can assure you that is one of the most important things that you could walk away with is learning how to forgive your significant other and doing so often. All right, number eight, cynical. Number eight, red flag. Cynicism. Now, you might be thinking, why is cynicism on the list? Of course, we're all, or we're all cynical, right? Everyone is a cynic. But here's why cynicism is on the list. Because in verse 6, Paul says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Rejoices with truth. See, cynicism, it's the opposite of that, right? Being cynical, it, it makes us assume the worst in other people. We're, we're, we, we stop trusting people. We, we play the blame game, right? Other problems are other people's faults, not ours. And so what cynicism does, especially deep-rooted cynicism, habitual cynicism, it makes us proud. It makes us self-righteous. Our, our motives, they become more and more selfish, which makes us less and less sincere. Now, I get that being cynical is easy. There's a lot of things to be cynical about right now in our culture. But just because it's easy and just because everybody around us might be cynical doesn't mean that it's good. In fact, the Bible says it's not. And dating a pattern of cynicism is definitely a red flag. It's a red flag. If they're cynical, if they stop trusting, if, if they assume the worst about others, 
What's to say that they won't eventually do that about you? What, what's, what's that to say about their relationship with God? See, cynicism, it, it gets deeply ingrained, and it's hard to overcome. And I think it's a red flag. Number nine, jealous. Kind of an obvious one, right? Paul says that, that love always trusts. Got it. Love always trusts. Jealousy, it does the opposite. It mistrusts, Right? When we're jealous, we're usually mistrusting. And here's the thing. Here's why I think a lot of us end up being jealous, because there's some sort of anxiety. There's some sort of insecurity going on. We may or may not even be aware of it, but that's what's feeding this jealousy. That's what's feeding this mistrust. And so here's how uh, I see uh, jealousy play out a lot in, in, in college dating. Usually, one person is, is super into the other. Sometimes it's, it's both. You're both into each other. And that's a great thing, right? It's fun. It's exciting. But what happens is slowly over time, you get more and more disconnected from, from friends. You get more and more disconnected from, from family. You start to make the other person kind of your world. You, you spend 24-7 with the other person, right? You've got no time for family, no time for friends. And what happens is you find yourself, all of a sudden, you're just isolated. What started off as fun and exciting, maybe a great group of friends around us, great family, supportive, all these things. Now we're just isolated. It's just me and the other person. And what happens when we get isolated, a lot of times control comes into the relationship. Control. And so the way that, that, that often control gets into the relationship is all of a sudden you start feeling guilty. The other person makes you feel guilty about who you're spending time with. Or, or they manipulate you into spending more time with them. Or, or they start controlling who you talk to or, or who you spend time with. And how often? Here's a question, guys. If you're in a relationship, if you're thinking about your, your, the person you're dating or your girlfriend right now, how does it make you feel when she spends time around other guys? How does that make you feel? Why? Girls, the guy that you're dating, the guy you're interested in, when he spends time around other girls, how does that make you feel? Why? Now, I'm not saying dudes go hang out with other girls if you're in a relationship and girls go hang out with dudes, right? But, like, I'm just asking us to, to wrestle with that question. Why do we feel the way that we feel in these kinds of situations? I think a lot of times when we get isolated, jealousy comes in, control comes in, and it's unhealthy, really. What started off really exciting, really fun, got really unhealthy pretty quickly. And I think it gets more and more destructive as time goes on. Last one. Can't commit. Red flag number 10. Can't commit. I get that commitment is a big deal for a lot of us. I get it. I, I, I do. I get it. But at some point, here's what I want to say. At some point, if the person can't commit, it's a red flag. Paul says that, that love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. It's hopeful. It endures. It leans in. It pushes through the good and the bad, right? When times are going great and when they're not so great. And, and, and of course, it's not a, a perfect kind of leaning in. It's not a perfect kind of persevering. And it's not even always with, with perfect clarity, but, but it moves forward. Love perseveres. And so if that guy or girl that, that you're interested in, if, if, if they can't make a commitment to you, now I'm not, obviously I'm not saying like, look, right, date one, you got to commit to the rest of your life. No, we're not saying, we're saying if they can't make a, a legitimate commitment to you that's appropriate to whatever stage of relationship that you're in, move on. Move on. Find someone who can. Find someone else that will. Because if they can't commit now, again, 
an appropriate relationship stage, right? But if commitment is a big deal right now when things are relatively easy, dating, I know it might not feel like this, but relative to the rest of your relationship with whoever that is, certainly of marriage, dating is relatively easy. If they can't commit, make commitments, keep commitments, aren't willing to commit in dating, man, it gets hard. What's to say that they're going to be willing to commit when you're married? And it's really hard because marriage is hard, right? Find someone who's willing to commit. Find someone who will commit. All right, that's 10. I'm going to put them back up here just by way of summary. 10 dating red flags that we pulled out from 1 Corinthians 13. Music team, you guys can go ahead and come back. I'm pretty much done. Let me say this. This, this whole list, right, this whole time we've been talking about, hey, here are our 10 dating red flags that, that we should look for in others, right? If, if we're interested in dating, if we're in a relationship, that these are things that we should be use, using, ideas, principles, wisdom that we should be pulling out to evaluate other people. Here's what I want to say, sure, but, 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 but. The reality is that evaluation shouldn't start, that reflection, that looking shouldn't start out there, it should start in here. It should start in here. Because, you see, if, if these things, I need to be asking myself, are these things, are these red flags true in my own life? See, I want us to see this list and not just start thinking about other people. I want us to see this list and say, do I see impatience? Am I unkind? Am I self-absorbed? Do I gossip? Do I lack self-control? Am I easily angered, unforgiving, cynical, jealous? Can I make commitment? And here's the thing, if I can't, again, not perfectly, but like if these things are habitually true of me, then I'm, what I want to say is that we're probably not ready to be in a relationship. You're not ready to be in a dating relationship if these things are habitually true of you. And I know that that's hard and it might seem harsh and I'm not doing it to, you know, be a jerk. I'm doing it because I care about you and I want us to grow and I want us to love each other well and, and date well and enjoy one another and so I want us to use these things as red flags to evaluate other people, but mostly I want us to evaluate ourselves. I want us to look at a passage like 1 Corinthians 13, and I want us to ask, like, is, is that how I live my life? Paul's words about love in 1 Corinthians 13, is that how I live my life? Is that how I treat other people? Does my life, does it reflect the kind of love that Paul talks about in that passage, or not so much. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. My guess is, for all of us, it's a little both and, right? Yes and no. None of us does any of that perfectly, right? All of us probably see some of this in ourselves. And the point is, is not to be perfect. The point is not to pull ourselves up and just try harder and be better and yah, 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 right? No, the point is to look to Jesus who is perfect. The point is to look to Jesus who loves perfectly, Right? We're not trying to be perfect people. We're not looking for perfect people. But when we fail, when we falter, when we have imperfections, we need to turn to Jesus and ask for help. Change our heart, Jesus. Repent of the ways that we see these things true in our own lives. And so let me just close this in prayer. Let me ask that Jesus would do that in our hearts and lives. Jesus, I thank you that, that we have a perfect picture of love because 
We have you. And we know what love is because we know who you are. And we need to confess right now, Jesus, that that there are often times that when we look at that list in 1 Corinthians 13 and we think about what love should be, we need to confess to you, Jesus, that a lot of times the way that we treat other people, by that definition, we are unloving people, sinful, broken, rebellious people. And so first and foremost, Jesus, would you forgive us for that sin? you change our hearts we can't change our hearts ourselves we need you how do we want to want to love like you're calling us to but we need your help help us to be people who love like you've loved us love because you've loved us first and use these descriptions of love as an evaluation of the kinds of things that we're looking for in the other person give us wisdom help us do this God we need you these things in your name.